The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Uh, today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes 11.7 and 12.8, or through 12.8. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity." Remember also that your Creator, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one raises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshoppers drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thanks, Patrick. So good morning, everybody. We're, uh, We're in the home stretch now of our Ecclesiastes series. It actually ends next Sunday. Next Sunday will be our last Uh, our last sermon in the series, and then we will begin a new series on the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so we're we're transitioning from everything is vanity and vapor to everything is joy, rejoice in the Lord always. And um, it's really, I think, a dignifying thing, the juxtaposition that the Bible itself offers us uh, between the full range of human emotion, all the way from you know sorrow and suffering and despair to 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 joy, and um, I want to start this morning uh, with this thought: in the days of our youth, most of us were or are drawn to the the happily ever after stories, where uh, in the end the maiden gets the prince, the hero slays the dragon, the beauty kisses the beast. Uh, and, uh, and they all lived happily ever after. We, we're all drawn to those stories, and we're repelled by the stories that end in tragedy. And this starts very early. Peter Kreef, the philosopher, tells a story about a seven-year-old boy whose cousin has died, and he looks at his mom, and he says, Mom, where is my cousin now? And she gives him the Lion King circle of life answer. She says this, your cousin has gone back to earth from which we all come, 
Death is a natural part of the life cycle. And so when you see the earth put forth new flowers next spring, you can know that it's your cousin's life that is fertilizing those flowers. And then the boy screams, I don't want my cousin to be fertilizer, and then he runs off. So Kreeft uh, says in another piece that he writes, to tell people that they must accept death as just another stage of growth is like telling a quadriplegic that paralysis is another stage of exercise. Here's the beauty of the Bible. It validates the full range of human emotion and perspective. And it doesn't leave any of it out. You know, I know several of you uh, attended the, um, the Enneagram at Work uh, seminar with Ian Cron this past weekend, uh, co-sponsored by the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work and Lipscomb University. And uh, those of you who are Enneagram 7s, the optimists, there's some validation for you in today's Scripture. Verse 7, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Yay! But then the next verse is for the Enneagram 4, the ones for whom the glass is always half empty, the pessimist. To the four, it says, the days of darkness will be many. All of that comes, all that comes to us is vanity. Further down, again for the seven, rejoice, enjoy the days of your youth. And then for the four, for all of it, all of your enjoyment, God's going to bring it into judgment. And then the author, toward the end, takes us to the end by turning to the subject of death. That's going to be our focus today. And what his perspective about death does is it affirms the pessimist who knows and speaks freely about the fact that death and sorrow and suffering and vanity and vapor, it's all coming, and it's all coming for all of us. But it also affirms the optimist who would say that death can also be a really terrific teacher about how to live our lives. And so, there, there are two thoughts today, or two headings, two angles. The first is for the younger crowd, and the second is for the older crowd. And I think older people can learn from his words to the younger crowd just as well as younger people can learn from his words to the older crowd. But for the younger crowd, he, he basically encourages two things. Number one, live for God. Number two, enjoy your life. So, live for God. Verse 12, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, before the, the death and dying days come. Remember your Creator from the beginning of your life. Don't put it off. It's, it's the same advice that you're going to get from investment experts. They're going to tell you as early as you can in your life, clear yourself of, of all debt because the interest that you're paying on your debts will limit and inhibit your, your ability to flourish now as well as in the long term. And so, get rid of debt as quickly as you can. 
And then investment experts would also say that uh, the reverse is true as well, that compound interest is your friend. The more you can start putting money savings to work in sound investments that will earn interest and accrue interest over time, the more freedom you will have to enjoy your life and to live well. Start early, the investment experts would say. Start in your 20s, not in your 50s. And anybody in their 50s or 60s who did not start early will tell you this is sound advice. Medical professionals as well, they'll tell you that an annual checkup is always wise. And they'll tell you that if you discover a strange lump on your head or under your armpit or on your elbow, it's smart to, to make an appointment right away with your doctor because typically when you catch things early, when you catch anomalies early, you've got a better chance at healing and survival if it's a threat. The same is true spiritually. The earlier you catch the anomalies, the better shot you have at a long and flourishing life. In other words, faithfulness is not just for grown-ups. God, Jesus, church, not just for grown-ups. There's so much in the Bible directed straight at children. 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one, because you're strong and the Word of God abides in you. Titus chapter 2, young women, be self-controlled and pure and kind. 2 Timothy 2, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and a pure heart. We see this pictured in Jesus. It says that even Jesus Christ learned obedience, learned faithfulness through the things that He suffered, but He also learned obedience and faithfulness by hanging out at the temple as a young boy with the rabbis asking all sorts of questions, pursuing wisdom when He was 12. When He was 12. You can find that whole story in Luke chapter 2. You know, if, if the book of Ecclesiastes has a single theme, it's this. Don't waste any of the precious time that God has given you building your life on vapor, building your life on things that are temporary, building your life on things that may give you short-term pleasure but that are going to ultimately disappear and not be there when the evil days come. You know, what he's saying is don't try to create your own version or your own experience of heaven under the sun with things that won't last, things like sex and money and power and luxury. You know, the writer, remember this, this was a, just a few months ago, we covered this, had access to unlimited amounts of sex. A thousand wives and concubines, we're told. He had unlimited amounts of power. He was king. He had unlimited amounts of luxury. Earlier chapters, chapter 2 says that he, he <clears throat> had many houses, a plurality of houses, vineyards, pools, 
He had to have a whole staff just to run his estate. Listen to what Steve Jobs, one of the most famously successful people of our time, said as he was living in his last days with terminal cancer. Here's what he said, remembering that I will be dead soon is the most important tool that I have encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Almost everything just falls away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Illusions that were built by fame or money, illusions that I built in my own life, I cannot take them with me. And then Bono. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. I wish I could speak to you in the Irish accent. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your Creator. In a way, it's such a letdown, yet it isn't. In a way, it's such a letdown, yet it isn't. Yet it isn't. Because the greatest pleasures, and this is the word especially to young people, the greatest pleasures that we can experience now through things like sex and like money and like power They are all signs and shadows. Steve Jobs' estate looks like poverty compared to what awaits everybody who knows Jesus Christ. The erotic life that Solomon lived seems boring in comparison to the transcendence that awaits every believer in Jesus Christ. The power of Amazon and higher office look incredibly weak relative to what awaits the meek who are going to inherit the earth. See, the kingdom of God is upside down. Any effort to try to create your own version of heaven under the sun with things like sex, money, and power is going to lead to anticlimax. Just look at the life of Christ. He, he, he never had sex. He never had money. He surrendered all of his power. Solomon has all these things and is one of the least fulfilled people in the world. Jesus had none of these things and is the most fulfilled person in the history of the world. He skipped all the appetizers and went straight for the feast, the feast being the face of God. The feast being lasting treasure that you can take with you. The treasures that you can take with you is is everything that has been invested in love, in love toward God, in love toward your neighbor. Those are the things, those are the riches, that's the wealth that you get to take with you to glory. You know, Jesus' use of power is, is probably the most stunning thing because this is, remember, this is the being, the entity that created the galaxies 
by breathing, by speaking a few words. Let it be, and there was. Then he looks back on his work, and he's satisfied, he's pleased, he says it's very good. He's very successful in his act of creation. And so, um, my friend John Tyson, who's a New York pastor, he uh, recently came out with a book, a short little book called uh, The Burden is Light. Highly recommend it. But in the thinking around his book, The Burden is Light, he makes an observation. He's from Australia, but he's obviously here in America, in, in, in New York now. But he makes an observation about American language around the concept of success. He says, have you ever noticed how violent the American language is, the American vernacular is, around the subject of success? When you succeed, it means that you crushed it. It means that you're killing it. It means that you nailed it. And yet, in the kingdom of God, what does power, what does success look like? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Love is patient. Love is kind. and It keeps no record of wrongs. It bears all things, endures all things never fails, and so on. It's loyal. See, what Jesus does is He uses power not to crush it or to kill it or to nail it, but to ultimately get nailed Himself and to get crushed and to get killed. Having built His life and His influence and His global movement, which continues today, on the back of service, lifting up the weak, encouraging the faint-hearted, and loving dead people, dead places, and dead things to life. So, live for God. Start early. Invest well. Examine the lump before it takes your life. And then, young men and women, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Having detached from these things, and attached to Jesus, your source, who is also the source of all of these other things that that, that give you pleasure, you can now move toward them and, and embrace them again now that the hierarchy of your loves has been properly ordered. In no way does the Bible say retreat from joy, retreat from fun, retreat from enjoyment. Rejoice, he says, in the days of your, your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Whereas the the band Johnny Swim says, we'll die when we're, when we're done. Let's live while we're young. Or if you're a baby boomer, the police, when the world is running down, take the best of what's still around. You know, one of my greatest regrets in life is uh, right there in my wedding album. It's the picture Marcia, you were there. You and Paul were there. Uh, It's the picture that the photographer took of Patty and me right after we are pronounced husband and wife. She has this big grin on her face, and I have the straight face. Like, you know, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier or something. And, And 
I was carrying a belief at that point in time that the only acceptable mood in church is the stern one, the somber one, the regal one, the stately one. Because only the stern, somber, regal, stately people are the reverent people who have respect for God. Too much levity equals disrespect. Too much fun and laughter and smiling equals irreverence. What a lie that was. What a lie. Here's what Ecclesiastes validates. There is room in the house of God for pessimism, for gravity, for seriousness, for weightiness. There is room in the house of God for joy and levity and optimism and happiness and grinning from ear to ear like a newlywed bride. You know, the Lord's Supper, you may have been confused a little bit at why we celebrate the Lord's Supper the way that we do, because maybe you've been a churchgoer all your life and you think that the Lord's Supper is supposed to feel like a funeral. And in a sense, it is. Because in the Lord's Supper, we we reverently remember the death of Christ and everything that it cost Him in order to buy our salvation. But it was Christ, not us, who put wine on the table, folks. Because we we don't only remember the past, we also remember the future. We remember, it says in the instruction in the New Testament around the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ until the day that He comes and inaugurates what He calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's going to be feasting and laughter and dancing and joy as well. So often we, we live our lives only on one side of the cross. Either we are 100% cross pe- people, wretched man that I am. God forgive me, thank you. God forgive me, thank you. God forgive me, thank you. And that's all that our life in Christ amounts to. I stink, you stink, we all stink, and God forgives, so thanks be to God. And then there are others of us who only live on the resurrection side. Everything's happy clappy. Oh, wipe those tears off your eyes. Stop your complaining. Mm -mm. Both and. That's our invitation in the house of God. Both and. Paul writes in Romans 7 about his coveting, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then we get Romans 8. No condemnation in Christ. No separation from Christ. Nothing in all creation will ever separate me from the love of God in in Christ Jesus. Romans 7 looks like self-loathing. Romans 8 is the answer. It's a love gush. Both. Live. Enjoy your life. Every bit of it. Live resurrection is the encouragement here. The loudest tables at restaurants should be populated with Christians, as well as the largest tips. The most yelling at hockey games and concerts should be done by followers of Jesus. Those who are most drawn into stories and and film and literature should be Christians. The most erotic sex should be had in Christian marriage beds. The most playful generosity, the most vigorous work should be happening from the hands of the people of Jesus. The human soul is a pleasure center. 
This is what our confessions tell us. Our chief end, our chief purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And in enjoying Him, we, we, we gain a new capacity to be able to enjoy everything else. Because we don't depend on everything else to be our identity for us, to construct our own version of heaven. Instead, we receive it all with gratitude from the one who is the giver of all good things. Okay, so for the older crowd, on Easter a few weeks ago, I bemoaned the fact that I got my first AARP card a few weeks ago. I just turned 50 uh, earlier this month, and with the AARP card, I mentioned to you on Easter, there was, there was uh, the announcement that if I joined today, I could also get a free sporty tote. And there's an irony to that because this stage in life, the things that I'm starting to think about, a sporty toad is useless. Because the more realistic I, I am at age 50 and then 60 and then 70 and then 80, the more realistic I am about my life's trajectory under the sun, the more useless I'm going to realize that a sporty toad is going to be because I can't take anything with me. As Job said, naked, the rich man... Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Verses 1 and 7 here, the evil days will come, and we will all return to dust, to vanity, to vapor. Like the boy in Peter Kreef's story, we have to reject the silly notion that death is a part of life, because it's not. And yet it's coming. And yet... It's how all of our lives are going to end, or maybe it's how all of our lives are going to begin. You ever think of it that way? In Christ, death may discourage us. It should. Jesus shed tears. He got angry about death. Death may discourage us. It actually should discourage us, but it cannot defeat us. Verse 5, you are going to an eternal home. You know, it's, it's very common in old age to start getting nostalgic about the good old days. Oh, if only we had the good old days back. You know, when bodies were strong and when, you know, the career was humming and when love was alive and fresh. But in the story of God, the good old days are always in the future, not in the past. The endless days of goodness are always in the future. They're always ahead of us and never behind us. You know, verses 2 through 6 gives us a summary, a very honest summary of what aging does to us. Our limbs weaken, our hearing and vision becomes impaired, sleep becomes erratic, our hair turns white, our sexual appetite fades, our body starts to sag, we start to get fat. And in the same way that the, the, the joys and pleasures of life, sex, money, power, the appetizers, in the same way that these things are temporary, so are pain and sorrow and decline. You know, the Bible pictures for us, if we can imagine it, a world in which each new day makes us younger instead of older, each new day adds to our strength instead of subtracting from our strength forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine? 
Is your body fading? There's nothing we can do to stop that. But the answer to that is not panic. It's not despair. It's not cosmetic surgery. Nothing wrong with cosmetic surgery, but that's not the answer to aging. That won't stop you from growing old. It won't stop you from dying. The answer is this eternal home. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator, remember the Creator that you're supposed to remember from the days that you're young, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power, there's that word again, of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When and how does this materialize? It's right here in verse 7. When the Spirit returns to God. When the Spirit returns to God through death. It's put in a holding tank, so to speak, where Jesus is. It's a place that Jesus called paradise when he spoke to a thief, a dying thief on a cross. But that body is, is, is in waiting to be reunited, or I'm sorry, that soul is, is, is in waiting to be reunited with, with a resurrected, glorified body, not unlike the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus Christ when he came back on Easter. What are some things about the resurrected body of Christ that we might actually be able to look forward to ourselves in terms of what our capacities and our strength and our running and our walking will look like? Jesus walked through walls. He could overcome barriers. Jesus flew. It says he ascended into heaven. I mean, maybe this imagery from Isaiah of, of us soaring on wings like eagles isn't imagery at all. Maybe it's quite literal. That that childhood dream that we all had, what, if it, what would it be like if we could all be birds? Maybe it's actually going to materialize. Maybe the animals collectively and all the things that the animals can do stay under the water for, for days at a time. Maybe these are things that we as human beings will have capacity for as well. We just don't know. What we do know is something else that Isaiah said, no eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has in store for those who trust Him. For those who fear him, you know that in your entire lifetime, you will use about 1% of your brain's capacity. You just think about your intellectual capacity once, once that whole thing in there, once your entire noodle is, is released to do everything that it's been created to do. There's your intellectual capacity, your spiritual capacity to connect to God, your social capacity to connect to others, your cultural capacity to flourish and thrive in your work. Death is not part of life. It's a gateway into the life that you always dreamed of. Albert Hubbard put it this way, the definition of die is this, to stop sinning suddenly. Bonhoeffer said that the death of a Christian is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. How about that? You can both hate it and joyfully anticipate it 
all in the same breath. But in the meantime, we will die when we're done. So let's live while we're young. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father in heaven, as we prepare to approach your table, give us the reverence that is due to your death and to the great cost that you paid freely so that we could eat and drink freely from this table. And give us the proper joy, the proper rejoicing, and the proper cheer because we're also approaching a feast that enables us to anticipate the things that no eye has yet seen and no ear has yet heard, the marvelous things that you have waiting for us in the good old days that are always ahead of us and never behind us. Thanks be to God in your name.